You're listening to Veg Your Best. There has never been a more important time to be vegan. Here at Veg Your Best, we help you limit and eliminate the consumption of animal products without feeling deprived, overwhelmed, or unsupported, even if no one you know is vegan. My name's Michelle Olander. I'm a life coach, and I want to show you that living vegan is actually a superpower, and it's going to unlock your possibilities and give you the confidence to take on any impossible goal, and you just do it your way. If I could go vegan in my 50s, almost 10 years ago, with all my excuses, I know you can start moving in that direction too. Veg your best, and there's nothing you can't do. Episode 115, and it's a conversation on vegan art with Tommy Kane. Welcome back. Welcome back, my Veg Your Besties. How is International Vegan Month going for all of you? You know, whether you're starting, restarting, or re-energizing your vegan practice, I hope, I hope this month, November, has you practicing some of those choices, skills, and strategies that make being vegan during these holidays actually simple and very joyful. And if you need any help with that, just just reach out. You can always find me here. But today, I have another guest in honor of International Vegan Month, artist Tommy Kane. I learned about Tommy Kane from his book, Vegan Art, a book of visual protest. Tommy Kane has used art to create impact and highly memorable images and videos for many, many years in advertising, in music videos, and in branding. And with vegan art, Tommy puts his work together with 20 other vegan artists in a really powerful, beautiful, large format book to support his subtitle, A Book of Visual Protest. You know, I think we all understand and and know personally that different media hit us. They, different media challenges us and connects with us in different ways. For sure, the medium of vegan documentaries has been so effective, opening hearts and minds towards a more plant-based and, and vegan direction. With his book, Vegan Art, Tommy Kane uses, I don't know how to describe it, better than high-impact style in support of a new way of looking and thinking. So this week's conversation is fun, very informal, and Tommy talks about his early discovery of his art, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's idea of 10,000 hours, the influence of Mad Magazine, how Tommy came to veganism, and how we might really need a new vegan Anthony Bourdain. There's a lot more in there, too. All the links to Tommy's work and his Instagram magazine will be in the show notes, and I'll catch you on the flip. So for now, just listen to vegan artist Tommy Kane. 
Tommy Kane, welcome to Veg Your Best. Nice to be here, Michelle, and uh, nice to meet you. Well, it's very nice to meet you, and I'm very grateful that you made time to talk to us because um, I recently ran into your work. You were kind enough to get me a copy of your book, and I've been going in and out of it. It's not just your work, but um, I've got it right here, and for my listeners, I, I will we'll have all the links and everything in the show notes, but... The book I was looking at was called Vegan Art, A Book of Visual Protest. And um, I'm wondering if you would tell my listeners where you got an idea for A Book of Visual Protest. Well, um, I had done, you know, I actually was in advertising for many years, but I was also kind of on the side, always illustrating and drawing for myself. So I've retired from advertising maybe eight years ago or so. So I was always drawing and stuff. And I ran into someone, a small book publishing company in London, and they liked the drawings I was doing, uh, just kind of my daily life and around the world and stuff. So they published two books of my illustrations. And then it turned out that the publisher himself was vegan. And he had a real interest because he would, had always seen the drawings and stuff that I was doing. And he would call me and say, why don't you do a book on all your vegan art? So I just would always tell him like, I don't have enough, you know, you seem, it seems like I have done tons and tons of these drawings, but not enough to fill a book. You really need a lot of drawings. So he pestered me two or three times. And then I started to, to, realize like he really wanted it as a as a thing you know so i go i can't be the only one doing this stuff so i really started to search on the internet globally and i did find uh, a lot of other people so that's kind of how it uh, came about and i just saw how different people tackled the issue visually photographers cartoonists because everything can't just be like gore and guts and you know trying to scare you or and I found some people who did some kind of very uplifting things and, you know, uh, kind of got me thinking, oh, it'd be nice to have all these uh, together. And uh, so that's sort of how it came about. So what would what is vegan art to you? Uh, to me, because I was in advertising so many years, maybe I should explain a little bit about who I am. I kind of got interested in art as a kid. And I was always kind of like the best artist in my grammar school and that kind of thing. But I was afraid, and even my parents were sort of like, why don't you go to school for business or something? That's sort of a fun hobby. So it sort of took a lot for me to eventually go to an art school. And that was after I did liberal arts uh, in college before making that decision. So uh, once I graduated, I actually got a job. I went to school in Buffalo, and I got hired at the Buffalo Evening News as an illustrator there. And there it was very much editorial, right? So it was always kind of drawing, but with an idea in mind. My, I never grew up thinking like, oh, I'll be a fine artist and be in a gallery. Gallery just had no interest for me. Well, I kind of liked... Uh, seeing drawings in newspapers and kind of like Mad Magazine, that kind of stuff, or sports things and sports magazines. So um, 
when I eventually left Buffalo, I wanted to live in New York City. I got hired at an ad agency because like in the 80s, before computers, in order to show ideas to the client, they were all drawn, hand-drawn. So uh, this, the first agency I went to said, all right, we'll hire you because the guy who has been here many years suffered a heart attack and we'd let him go at like two o'clock. So you can take, even though you're like, look like you're 12 years old, you can draw most of the day. And once I saw that, you know, I was very good at it. And then I go, oh, these people come up with ideas. Like, I think I could do that too. So it was this kind of, they kept promoting me, you know, and I was um, selling big campaigns and things. And I was very good at these kind of visual, you know, taking a concept, distilling it down into a visual idea. So I started to do that, incorporate that in my kind of just uh, sketchbook drawing. A lot of people now, it's a big thing, like urban sketching. So it's a global phenomenon. Yeah. So my Instagram every morning is like thousands of people that sit on the street somewhere in Paris or Rome or Sydney and they draw. But mine evolved into conceptual things always. I wanted it to be uh, kind of, that's how I was standing out. So maybe about seven years ago, I became vegan. And then I was like, I'd come across these facts that really startled me. And just out of a reflex, I would kind of scribble. I go, that's an interesting idea that's out, that shows uh, visually what that you know, problem is. So then I, it kind of evolved into uh, me doing that quite a bit which again, it evolved into this kind of book. Because even when I was searching out other vegan artists, a lot of them do, a lot of what it was, was like a picture of a cow or you know a cow hugging a lamb. And it was all these kind of little cutesy hallmark stuff. And it was not very uh, intellectually conceptualized in a way, you know? So I kind of, in some ways was starting to really own that and be the kind of king of that. Although I did discover some incredible people online, but not everyone gets back to you or agrees to participate. You know? So it was, I was kind of coercing some people and begging others. And, you know, it's a, that's the, the terrible thing is when you do a book and it collaborates with all these people, but you're the dad, you know, it's, constant they never send you stuff they don't all right i'll do it and then a week goes by two weeks go by and and a lot of um artists in a weird way don't understand uh computers you know and formats and scanning and sizes and they would send me things and they're this tiny i'm like this is not big enough to go in a book and i'd literally have to go to do a step-by-step -step thing with pictures to show them how to scan or how to go to a like a print shop to have them do it and what the size it should be. It was, it was torture. Some people didn't even get back. Some people literally answered my email two years later. They were like, is it too late to... And a lot of people, I would have to contact them through everything. I would find them on Facebook. I'd send them one there, on Instagram. On I'd find their email address somewhere. And I would send out like 10 to 10 different things and they would answer me on the oddest like whatsapp or something and i'm like okay it's good that you found me can here's my email write me there and they keep writing back on these other things and it's like oh my god artists are so they're terrible
Is it is it because they're artists or because they're vegan artists or is it just? Uh... You no, know, it could be the vegan thing too. It, my <laughs> wife always laughs at me because, like, if we're overseas or wherever, and she's like, "Oh, look, you know, we're in Portugal. Let's go to this uh, vegan restaurant here," and you go in, it's empty or there's one person, right? And you you have to wait an hour for your food. And she's like, they just, the vegans don't have it together. You know, like, all right, you're in, you're sitting down, like, here's what they ordered. Can you get it? You know, you almost have to get up yourself and go behind the counter and get your drinks and start doing stuff. Like, it's, it's you know, so I think you might have hit something there. The combination be. of vegans. Yes, it's the artists. combo, you know. Yeah. Because in advertising, they train you on computer. You know, everything is like, how to do this thing, how to work Photoshop, how to adjust. So I was endlessly getting their stuff, retweaking it. And I'd have to rewrite a lot of their stuff too, or, you know, some were in foreign languages and others. I'm just like, do you mind if I correct all this? And they're like, oh, no, you can help me. So I forget sometimes that, you know, the people like in New York, everyone you meet is sort of the real thing. It's like, you live in Ohio and meet someone, oh, I want to be a dancer or whatever. Here, you meet someone, they go, I'm a dancer, where I'm at Alvin Alley. Or everyone's like a real thing, or at least in the 80s, 90s, that's how I, uh, so here you get all your friends become accomplished and they're, they're you know. Yeah, and, and your training also is as an artist with the skills mm -hmm. of perhaps a fine artist, but with that mission of commercial commercial concerns of of inform of of selling of, um, of communicating yeah so that's a it's like a a, a specialized skill set to have both of those yes you know it's funny being in advertising it's amazing how many people would go wow you know how to draw and these are all the art directors and almost none of them could and i'm like how'd you get through art school without well i'm a designer i like this you don't really and then i learned oh and this in this, you don't really need to. You just kind of have a, have a taste level, and you know you can do your little ideas on paper. And then it's if you could hire a great artist or understand type and design and things. But I was an anomaly for sure. Yeah, because you had the draftsmanship on top of, and the probably mm -hmm. the color theory and all of that on top of being able to subsume perhaps your your inner artist to the needs of the marketplace. Mm -hmm. not everyone not every artist can do that yeah it's because it's funny uh, i guess you said you have like an art history background and i almost know nothing about art history i mean i went all through school uh where it was just kind of trying to get a job at something and i just had no art history training or interest i also didn't go to museums a lot because i felt lost in there like i didn't read for many years too like all through college and after. And then at a certain point, I just started reading like crazy, but it was because someone helped me to get over the hump of not being afraid in bookstores. Like, how do I find a book? Where do I start, you know? So you say you don't have a lot of art history background, but was there a type of art that was very um, impactful for you as an artist? Yeah. Well, it's Mad Magazine, like as a little kid. So that... I, my father, uh, he worked for the New York Times, but he worked at night. He was a pressman, like a blue-collar worker. He ran the machines that put the ink and stuff on it. He'd always bring to me the newspapers in the morning. It was like the Herald. It was a different newspapers then. 
because I remember on Sunday morning, they would have a comic section. It was like 12 or 14. It was a big deal. And there was a lot of editorial artwork. So I was always fascinated by that. And just when I got in that age of like grammar school, it was Mad Magazine. They had a lot of people that did caricatures. They'd spoof whatever movie with Airplane or mash and i'm like wow they make these drawings look exactly like every person in the movies so that kind of fascinated me and then i would draw my teachers and fellow students and everyone's like look what this guy can do it's you know and it's kind of the malcolm gladwell ten thousand hour you know because people are always like oh you were born with that town i'm like no i had a fixation almost like uh, ocd and i couldn't stop keep trying to do that do that over and over and over endlessly we're going to go in the park well i'm just going to stay in my room and do this relentlessly till i hit the ten thousand hours so that's kind of what happens but i was right away i did it uh my mom told me like my mom had me when she was young like 21 so when i was like five in kindergarten it was the teacher, when she met like a little conference, said, I never saw a kid draw like your son ever. She's like, I've been teaching for like 35 years. My mom was like, I, he can't even write his name. His little sister can write his name. I, so she had no way to judge, but the teacher could. She's like, look at his perspective. Like, look what he's doing. You have no idea. And she's like, I don't know. I just, I don't get it. So I was always fascinated and fixated, you know? Hmm. But it was the work that I put in that got sure. not not being born with a talent. So, do you think even like before uh, kindergarten, you were copying things? Or? Oh yeah, like three. Because my dad had these little books. He would paint at home, kind of as his hobby. But I wasn't mm -hmm. interested in painting. So he would he had little books and he would draw, you know, like anatomy things or something. But uh, then one time I was at my grandparents and I went downstairs and then I found some other drawing books and it was my mom's brother, my uncle. And he must have been uh, in college taking some drawing class and his were much better. And I be remember becoming so fixated on that. Like, how did he do that? He made this look like a hand, his own hand. Like, so that qu had quite an impact on me uh, early on. So you were trying to make something happen that you had seen. You knew somebody else could do it, and you were very... Correct. Mm. I started, it, you know, like, physically tangible. My mom even told me, like, my dad's father would come to visit, you know, my, one of my grandfathers, and my mom said, oh, he was very uncomfortable around you because you were so quiet. You never said a word. You were just like... So I would put you on his lap, and then I would tell him, all you have to do is give him this... Uh, little drawing pad and this pencil and then tell him something you want him to draw and he would say oh, like a bird and then my mom's like you would just draw this bird like out of your head and then he'd say something else and you do it again and then he would kind of relax and was like oh my god fascinating you know i was like a little trained monkey or something but so and that was early that's like three or so by the time you know i'm five years old in kindergarten the teacher's able to say like because I had been, you know, really doing it relentlessly, very young, very small. So you were a bit of a prodigy then. Kind of, but I think it's more, it's like OCD. It's that okay. I was fixated. I don't know. Like I, I read in the Glidewell book really 
made me think like it's just those who work at it more or have some kind of fixation it's not a prodigy maybe you know because i, I think i see what you're saying because there is there's idiot savants well, then we connect to that like oh the guy can play mozart he just hears it once it's a, that's different there's some switch or something in their brain that makes them do that but others like i read eric clapton's book and he's like i just sat in my bedroom all day long 10 hours you know i do my homework five seconds but that's all i did weekends not you know, relentlessly. And so I identify with that. It's not a prodigy. It was just, it's a fixation on one thing. You know? mm. And so you got those 10,000 hours much faster than most people would because of that relentlessness. Kind of, you know, it's funny. Once I got to New York and started working in advertising, then I was partying and I'm like, I live in New York. I never thought this was happening. This is the greatest thing. And then I started to succeed in advertising. I was kind of, selling campaigns. I was hiring young directors. And one of them, we were like the same age, both like 12 years old. <laughs> and he said, I'm trying to make music videos and no one will let me do it because I'm a photographer. And we pooled our resources and then we started to uh, do that stuff too. So I started to become so successful in a way at what I was doing and working with different like directors, animators. And then I sold some campaigns where I was hiring the illustrators who are my heroes who did the covers of time magazine and stuff and i'd say well come on over to the studio i'm working i can i'm like really oh my god so i slowly stopped drawing as much only just enough for my job but not for my own pleasure and that took about 15 years or so before i started to pick it up again and very religiously and so during that 15 years, you were using different kind of media, like video and different kinds of campaigns. Yes. And I was kind of learning and that everything was changing while I was there. So everything was shot on film with giant cameras. You needed a thousand guys to do it. So eventually it's like you can do it on your phone. Yeah. But I make a lot of animated videos. If you look on my Instagram, I um and a lot of people will say, like, how did you make this thing? Like, and I go, I just made it myself and I edit it. And they go, how did you edit it? And I'm like, well, I sat in a million edit rooms, so I know when to make a cut or how to make something funny or and how to musically score it. You know, you have all those uh, talents from osmosis, you know, being in those rooms. Yeah, I remember my husband uh, cutting TV commercials together, not not physically, but having to sit with the editor all night long because yeah. it was cheaper studio time if you went between midnight and eight in the morning or whatever it was at the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a life of dark rooms, which you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> You'll just be in the dark. Yeah, you wouldn't know, is it noon or is it midnight? I don't know. Yeah, until we're done, we don't know what time it is. Yeah. Right. So... Your art was in service to a lot of different sorts. So I, you, you, as you say, you did some, you were behind some music videos. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you were behind. Uh, yeah, I did Robert Palmer, Lenny Kravitz. I did mm -hmm. uh, Buster Poindexter. Yeah. So yeah, I was doing uh, interesting things. Yeah. And so in also, again, in service to some sort of commercial aspect. Correct. And so somewhere along the line, as you become vegan your some of your recent work has been in service to another idea yeah you know it's interesting because i think what happened too in the midst of all this the other change was instagram because 
um, Instagram, I think, has become a great tool for artists. So all the best artists in the world are on Instagram because before, you know, I would have to literally go to a library or some store and get books about illustration or what's happening or look through endless magazines. But now I can open my feed and I'm following whatever the, you know, 2,000 of the best artists in the world, and I see what they're doing. And it's like, oh, look, that's a great idea. That's a, and it became very stimulating. And what, what you can do now is almost have like your own personal magazine. So I put out my work and then others are like, oh, look what this guy is doing. And you kind of get a following. And, and in some ways it kind of helps you to motivate, right? To like, oh, I should do something this week so I can post, let me. So it almost works as like you're going to the gym and getting stronger and bigger muscles and you're kind of working on these things and it's like i said i was drawing on the street doing the typical things others were but as it got bigger and bigger and bigger that's where i i started to fall back on my uh, advertising trying to do conceptual things and it's funny because i was vegan and an artist or whatever and the two didn't mesh right away i hadn't even thought of that uh, and actually, probably you saw in my book, I mean, the reason I became vegan is someone who I know was vegan uh, was asking about, you know, some documentaries, and I was mentioning a few, and he said, you should watch Cowspiracy. And I went home and I watched that. It was so eye-opening to me. Like, it blew me away. Because even just sort of like the Amazon rainforest, I always thought it was like a timber story, you know? And then when I'm like, oh, it's a farming, it's where they need more land to grow food, to feed the, that was so shocking to me. And a lot of it just kind of, you know, like with guns and stuff, you're like, oh, there's the NRA or whatever. I could see what they're trying to do and politically, but the meat and dairy seemed hidden. And now, and from seeing that and reading other books, I'm like, oh, it's much more powerful and insidious. Like it's, it's kind of, Crazy. So that really like opened my eyes. And Cowspiracy did a, a smart thing, which is kind of if you go to their website, at the end of their website, they have a facts page. And it's kind of listed like environment or like animals or ocean. Like it's broken up into all these things and it's tons of just these facts. And I was like, oh, that is. Look, I started reading them. And that's where I first had the genesis of like, like, oh, that's an interesting fact. Let me try to visualize that. And I did. And then I kind of posted it. So um, it was almost like, you know, those TV commercials where the guy bumps into the other guy. One guy has the chocolate and the other guy has the peanut butter. And, you know, he has the Reese's Pieces. So that's kind of what happened to me. And then I found like over time, it's actually not easy to get facts about vegan. I almost wish there was like a kind of international website that just listed all this stuff. It could be in it, you know, about ducks or pigs and the ocean or specific fish or because then I would find conflicting things or some that just sounded too crazy and astronomical, like not real. So because after that, I had watched, I had read a few books. One was, you know, Jonathan Safer Foer, you know him, Eating Animals, and uh, We Are the Weather. So I was like, oh, that was filled. So I actually read it, and as I was reading it, then I kept a little notepad. I'm like, look at this. Oh, 
he just would have these interesting. Then I actually read uh, Dr. Dean Arnish, Reversing Heart Disease. And then I read uh, the China study, which th those are more kind of scientific and medical mm -hmm. in a way, you know. But so I was like, oh, the, so through that stuff, I would find enough things that kept me going for quite a few years. And then, um, and now it's just, I almost felt like I've dried everything up. So it's only if I, there's a recent article that comes out and I'm like, oh, that's a very interesting, you know, like fact, then I'll do something, but there just seems to not be a place to go to, because mine are very fact-driven. Like you can see in the book, most people don't do that. They're just sort of like, you know, eating cows is bad. It's sort of like, you know, you see, they kind of do more emotional and more diffuse. Yeah. Because the other thing that happens, I actually listened to one or two of your other uh, podcasts before coming on here. And I think you were touching on something that I think is important, which a lot of what I started to then do, I realized on Instagram was that, am I just making art for other vegans to look at? And so, you know, being an advertising, you know, I mean, it's sort of like politics. If you only go on Fox News or MSNBC and you talk in your own little bubble, you're not converting anyone. So the idea of the, the book or the art that I do is that it should be someone who eats a lot of like chicken all the time. A lot of times it's about habit, right? So you know, I work in this office and across the street, there's a little deli and they make a great chicken sandwich. So four days a week, I just go over and I get that. You're not breaking your habit, right? It's just easy. You're not thinking even about what you're doing. It's like cigarette smokers. They don't uh, just have it at this time and then, and I don't, it's when you have to change the pattern. It's like, oh, I don't want the cigarette now. I don't, you know. So I was trying to um, think, you know, like how can I convert people and not just keep, you know, because there's a lot of the vegans I meet are that follow me. They're very much like all or nothing, you know? And someone's like, well, I'm going to cut down a little. Oh, but you're you're still eating it. You're terrible. And I'm like, yeah, that's not a good, even if we get people to partly, you know, change their habits, that will make a big impact, right? Because we figure like there'll be by whatever it is, 20, 50, 10 billion, like another 2 billion more people. Up. Like, where is that all going to come from? It's, it's something has to give. So. In advertising, you know, it's about, you know, just getting people to come a little bit on your side. A little bit helps, a little bit more, a little bit more. And also, like me, I feel like I'm an old dude, right? This younger generation is much more hip and they know, like the information's out there. It's kind of like, you know, my parents' generation, everyone smoked because they didn't know. The ads had doctors and you know, but now generations are like, I don't want to do that because I know you can't even do it anywhere. I can't do it in my I used to do it everywhere. Subway, movie theater, airplanes. Airplanes, like, I know. <laughs> yeah. So I think the same thing is happening there. And then an interesting thing happened to me on uh, Instagram. I had done this drawing of look like one of these uh, people who walk dogs for a living. You know, they have like eight dogs. And they, so I have this girl in a suburban neighborhood walking with the leashes, but all the dogs are not dogs. They're, it's like a cat. I know it's a, like a pig, a sheep, cow, all the size of dogs, right? So it's all the animals that we eat. 
And I had, you know, written something that was very kind of uh, impactful, but snide, you know, and this one woman wrote in the comments, she was like, that's not very helpful. And all of a sudden, it was like a light bulb. It's like she hit me in the face with a punch, you know? And I was like, she's right. Like, I have to, I have to try to figure out how to get, draw people in, not us against them, you know? Hmm. So I've been trying and trying to do that a, a lot more, but it's hard to get feedback because it's mostly the vegans that will comment and do all this stuff. But sometimes people will write to me and say, you know, I used to eat a lot of shrimp and now I don't because uh, of something you said or that I saw, you know. So it's, I wish that uh, part of the vegan community would be have a tolerance and almost reset their, you know, calibration to, it's not making everybody vegan. Like right now it's, it's just getting people to open their eyes and to think, you know, differently but I, I have a friend that lives in taiwan and he said there's vegan restaurants everywhere because it's part of their daily you know it's just normal to eat two or three times a week vegan it's not a political thing it's not something it's culturally they've always done it mm. and, and i was like oh that maybe that's kind of where we have to be moving to you know there's another weird thing that because I, I think that the food network is a big problem in our you know all these kind of netflix documentaries you know and it's like food porn and it's made this thing where everyone wants to eat at home like they're at a three-star michelin restaurant and it's so a lot of it is the fog with all this you know it's about because some of the shows are literally just guys eating tons of meat and lamb chops and steaks and you know, it more, it's a, it's a gluttony, but on none of these shows, there's no like Anthony Bourdain guy going around meeting vegans. Like, cause you think of how many celebrities and rock stars or whatever, it'd be such a great show of like going to see how they eat and what, you know, it tastes really good and look how cool these people are. Right. It's, I think this is your job. I think <laughs> yeah. you're the one with the background for this. But, you know, I could, I would know that also the Food Network's like, the ratings aren't as great, so we're going to kill the show. You know, it's become very big, I see, in the African-American community. Veganism. A lot of athletes, yeah. Yeah. Which I find, you know, hopeful in a way, too, you know. So it just, but again, it's sort of with my drawings and things that I try to do, and I try to, you know, take a sort of fun cynical approach to my writing and stuff too maybe it's because i'm i'm not really a writer you know at heart but i found a voice and i kind of know what i'm doing uh, well if any of our listeners today remember mad magazine i think does it still exist in any form because um it does i think you can still but what they do is i think they recycle old stuff, old stuff. Put, yeah because there there was always the um you just said you were a little bit snarky or something like that that was mad mad's uh, snappy answers to stupid to, questions stupid questions yeah that yeah. Was, was a great book <laughs> and it was very foundational for my sense of humor for sure not for my art per se but for my my kind of cynical a <laughs> um, uh, little bit judgy, snarky, consider the source. And 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 it was a subversive style magazine aimed at middle American kids at a certain yeah. time. Yeah. I think it was more for boys. I'm very impressed that you uh, 
read it, you know, or yeah. had it too. And I, I mean, I think there was a healthy amount of misogyny in that magazine, <laughs> but it was it was good to learn that that existed. But also, but visually, right. I remember being um, fascinated by that back page, yeah, which the gatefold. you fold and what did you call it? Yeah, the gatefold. Gatefold. Yeah. Yeah, which would create a different um, a different picture design would be uh, made visible when you folded that back page in a certain way. Um, I don't know. Was it always the same fold? Yes, it was it always was. the back. And it was, oh, I think it might have been done by Al Jaffe or one artist. And I was in LA and I went to this production company that makes TV commercials and stuff. And someone was like, oh, you should come with us. We're going to show you stuff upstairs. And they had framed all the original, not all, but a lot of them. And a lot of them had the original kind of acetates that showed where the color and things mm. happened. So someone said, oh, we were making this documentary and we wanted to interview for the guy that did this. So they looked and someone was like, oh, he's still alive. And we found his address and we went to him and he agreed. Okay, we're in the house. He showed us he had tons and tons of this stuff. So he's like, we bought, you know, as many as he would sell us. You know, we gave him a lot of money, but here they are, these original things. The old guy just had them in his house. Yeah. So if, if any of our listeners are today are not, <laughs> not familiar with Mad, it, there's probably some some internet site that's uh, dedicated to some of its uh, <laughs> some of its creations because it was a very kind of um, uh, subversive and that Alfred B. Newman "What Me Worry" persona, yeah. which was um, which was that kind of that tweak on Middle America, that kind of Brady Bunch type of family but there was something just a little off <laughs> a little off about him so what brought you towards um being vegan yourself personally it was just i had a, a very good friend or two that were vegan and sometimes they would travel with me and my wife and so we were like all right you know we'll go to this vegan place or whatever he was very much into like supporting vegan places and if we're in different countries he would like to sort of talk to the people that ran it or the cooks and they say what's going on and uh, so that so when my friend said oh you should watch this documentary I was already kind of indoctrinated mm -hmm. I wasn't really eating a lot of meat maybe 25 years or so ago I tried to be a uh, vegetarian and that lasted maybe about four years but I didn't quite know how to do it properly. You know, you could be vegan and still eat terribly, you know, like French fries and whatever. So it uh, didn't quite take. But this time when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God. And luckily, my wife, who's very smart, was like, OK, if we're going to do this, I got to make the household, even though she's not wasn't vegan at the time. you know. And being a smart lawyer, she just started like reading a lot about it and started just cooking at home right so that made it a, a lot easier uh, because then I saw like oh I can do this it's quite easy to do and what's good is these kind of you know like purple carrot where you get the meal sent to you because that teaches you the different kind of grains and things and how to you know like a little bit of Mexican food or Indian and you're like oh these little recipes are enough to really get you going so that you're not just repeating the same things and you kind of and also we we belong to a csa 
so we get these vegetables like every single week. And sometimes you're like, I don't know what to do with this one. Like, what is this? And again, it makes you, okay, use them, search out things. And so I quickly realized, oh, I'm going to be able to do this. And at a certain point, then you know there's no turning back to it. Because your, your body starts to tell you a story too, you know? So you're just like, oh, wow, all right, this is... And then it's funny, I I would ask all my doctors, I go to my dentist, my doctor, I, I have a bone doctor too. And then uh, my dad was in the hospital or my brother-in-law, you know, and each time I was there, I'd ask all the doctors, you know, like, look, I'm like vegan completely. Like, is that a, and they're all like, I would tell everyone to do it. It's the healthiest way to live. And I go, I can't do it myself, but you know, that you're doing the right thing. So don't, you know, question it or, and in fact, I've had people like my father had bypass surgery, my wife's brother had a major heart attack. And when you're in there after that surgery and things, it's like they're given a meatloaf or chicken. And so they're going home with this idea, you know, like, and I'm like, God, that again, it's kind of what we were talking about before, how powerful the meat industry is. Like, like, well, no, we're going to sell every last little cutlet to, I don't care if you're dying because of eating meat, it's it's going to be on your tray in that hospital room. Well, you know, this, this brings to my mind, it brings us back a little bit to art. I, I have new, I, ha- I had three kids, I have now uh, three and one on the way grandchildren. And so children's art, art aimed at children is I mean, is it is it ninety percent animals? It's it's so much animals, sure. and it's happy animals and friendly animals, and the occasional scary dinosaur, but mostly <laughs> happy animals and mostly children's cuddling animals, and um, and then we we buy the eggs, and there's happy chickens, and there's happy cows on the butter, and there's and so art has been, um, and when I say used, I don't mean by I don't mean by an actual malevolent force in the universe necessarily, but it's been used to make us feel more comfortable all all along with with this idea and to disconnect us. And sure, so, Ronald McDonald and uh, Burger King King and all those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I was looking, you know, when I was looking through vegan art, uh, here, it's backwards here, but when I was looking through it, I, I shared a couple pictures like the, with people, and they were like, "My God, that's intense." Some of them, I'm like, really? Who's gonna want to look? And I'm like, "Oh, that's so interesting that we don't mind seeing the happy animals, but we're uncomfortable with having that that narrative, that concept messed with." And yeah. that is really, I mean, why has art always been uh, so subversive over the years? It's because it has it has illustrated to us things that we've been uncomfortable talking about. Yeah, I find that uh, a few times I started to make these little animated things, kind of poking fun at meat. And then I actually started doing them of actual meat. So my friend was barbecuing or cooking a steak and I go, let me come over. I want to film it. And then I did a little animated face on it. So when it hits the pan and I have it screaming, oh, or, and I was putting the sounds of like a cow and it turned over when it gets flipped over, the eyes are X'd out like it's dead. And mm-hmm. But it was a very fun kooky, but 
the amount of people that unfollowed me, I was like, oh, this is amazing. You know, it's like, so I'm crossing, I'm trying to find that line and that they don't want to be reminded that sort of what they do because they're the same people like, oh, I love my dog, Ian, my, oh, my dog died. And they're going to post pictures five days. Here's what Puffy used to look like. Oh, he was my best friend or whatever. And then it's like they go get a hamburger or you know, yeah. eat some chicken. They're not connecting the. Yeah, and it's not because they're bad people, you know. No. So, which is what you, what you were talking about. Where sometimes are we're we're preaching to the choir to the people that are already converted on these issues, but it takes a process. I mean, I didn't. I wasn't vegan until my. Me too. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, seven and, and years. I can still remember just thinking yeah okay but that's just kind of how it's always been i don't know i mean i don't think i got any more any more specific than that so it's like yeah well that's just how it is but why would that how how is that an excuse for anything else in my life and i know that when i started and i think this is another thing that gives people some pause what else am i going to have to come to terms with if i come to terms with the fact of this global atrocity about animals, then what else do I have to pay attention to? <laughs> uh, that's that's it. Everyone has their own little, you know, avenue of, of things that they're uh, trying to deal with. And it is, it's like, we're, we can all be made to look hypocritical. So it's, there's no winning, you know, it's, and that's why I think you know, the success of the meat and dairy industry is kind of that uh, there's just so many prongs against it. even when i first became vegan i would go there's this diner in connecticut my wife's mother uh, lived there so we'd stop at this diner it's one of those diners where the the menu is a phone book and i would go through because it, it had everything under the sun and there was just one little thing on there that i could eat it was the only thing mm -hmm. that wasn't that didn't have meat or dairy in some shape or form stuck in there. And I'm like, God, look at, they're amazing. Like they control all the supermarkets and every aisle and every little thing. They just get it in there. But kind of like you're saying, I, I ate that way my whole life. So like, who am I to really preach to people? And I'm not trying to preach. That's where the fine line, it's like, if I was at an agency and they said, our, you know, vegan has hired us to be their ad agency it's like what yeah. kind of commercial what can we do to just convert people or you know but then again it's the same with the tv they're not showing movies or documentaries on mainstream tv and like talking about this even i mean even reading in the china study was interesting how much they have spent uh, the meat industry and stuff like infiltrating like cornell and all these universities giving them grants, but they're saying, no, I, I know that's what you want to do, but why don't you study this and we'll give you more and you can become the dean. You can. And it's, then they were going into journalism schools, you know, and, you know, the writers. So you're not seeing so much of this stuff in there too. Cause every once in a while, even in the times I read an article and I'm like, can that be true? That's like, I don't know. I would send it to my friend and sometimes it'd be 48 hours later and they would say, we have to have a retraction because as we search and search and search, we discovered they're part of Nestle's and, you know, who makes all the milk chocolate. And it's like, oh my God, they're so insidious and they're mm. so good at what they do. So, 
Yeah, well, I, I'm on I'm on the hunt not only for artists that are vegan, but also for veterinarians that are are vegan because my understanding is that veterinarian standards and practices have been developed by a large part by the meat and dairy industry in the United oh, States. And so I'm interested in knowing what what that because I would think you know so I mean I know my kids have have wrestled with huge bills for their their rescue dogs. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> for their rescue dogs, and um and I I think that's a uh, it's a a bully pulpit for these veterinarians to help uh, to help people understand a little bit more about animals and what's going on with them. You know, it's interesting. Recently, you know, Ezra Klein for the New yes. York Times, he's mm-hmm. a He's a great blogger. He wrote a story and it was about people who give money, you know, to like animal shelters. And it was the percentage, whatever, it was like 75% for cats and dogs, but to animal sanctuary or anything that had to do with kind of like rescuing a chicken or a cow or, and he was saying, you know, like we need to do a better job there. There needs to be money really not just for your little doggies and cats, you know? So I was like, oh, that is another area that I hadn't thought of either. Yeah, and that's what I mean. It's like when you, you you get, you kind of move forward through that hallway and then there's like another door and another door to, to, to be more aware of. But yes, it, it's, art is a way of kind of cutting through a lot of these protective mechanisms, I think that we de- developed intellectually and, in terms of our routine. And we have this routine of how we expect to see animals and a routine of how we expect to see the visual of food presented. And when artists like yourself and the, and the team that you put together in your book, Vegan Art, um, it really interrupts that. It really, it's very provocative. Like even in the book, there's the one photographer who stages all the animals together, like it's a family portrait. There's the dog and the sheep. And just in that, there's nothing gross about it. There's not, you just look at it. Again, it's what you were saying before, almost like childlike. Oh, it's so cute or whatever. And then you start thinking about it and you're like, oh, because it's with the dog and the other kind of animals that live in your house. And you're like, oh, it does look like a family. And they're so, you know, you don't want to connect that to uh, this shrink wrap thing in a supermarket, you know? Yeah, because when we think about it different, differently, then do we actually have to do something different? <laughs> well, it, with advertising and marketing and like you were saying, communication, it's repetition. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times you watch a commercial, you know, and it's for some medication or something. You're like, do I have to see this Cialis commercial again over and over and over? Because that it's the only way it really sinks into people's head. Same with, you know, we've just gone through a political season. And it's like, do they have to hit me over the head with the same thing all the time? And it's like, we just found like that that's sort of what works. So, you know, you sort of have to do that. But I, a lot of the people, and the artists who follow me and stuff, they're very much the just the zero tolerant people in their artwork. They're yelling, they're kind of, and it's like, okay, uh, you know, they have these like vegan fests or places, you know, and it's just all the same people. They're not getting in people who need to be converted and want to. It's sort of like elections, it's the middle ground. Yeah, uh, we voted for you know George W. Bush. Now we'll vote for Obama. Well, they're just yeah. they're gettable, right? So it's like that's what you'll 
want to reach. And that's why even like, I only have like 20,000 followers. I wish I had like 2 million, you know, and then it's, it's, you want those people to be coming out and say that, you know, they're vegan, you know, it's like Venus Williams or whoever. It's like people with platforms uh, making it cool and interesting and, yeah, I think you know. in that way there there are more of them. I think it is becoming more. I you know, I uh, oh you know your your wife you said is, is Korean is Korean, and mm -hmm. uh, we were just at Francia restaurant over near was it on Park Avenue and Thirty Fourth or something like that, mm -hmm. which is an entirely uh, vegan Korean uh, menu. I know it. I know and it. We sit on the Hangawi. Hangawi yeah. is the one that you said. Yeah, 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 and so. And and I I don't believe everybody in there that I saw the other day was vegan. <laughs> it was pretty busy. No, that's it. Yeah, it's good. You know, if you start to look at each nationality, right? Because vegans know, like, oh, you could have Italian food, you know, Indian food. There's different. If you know, even my friend, because I like sometimes, like I'll be on an airplane. I was going to Japan, so I said, you know, I'm vegan. I can only. So she gave me like some soup or something. I go, it looks like there's some little meat in here. And she's like, yeah, just a little for taste. It's not, I know you're, it's vegan, but you're, it's just a little. Otherwise, it wouldn't taste good. <laughs> so, like certain cultures don't quite get it. Makes it makes no sense to them. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, my friend was going there a lot to Japan. He said, no, I've discovered there's places that they have incredible. Once they know like, oh, it's, a, I mean, this happened to me early on too. When I first became vegan, we go to a restaurant, I would look and then I would order vegan. You know what I mean? I'm like, hold the cheese on this, do this. And then my wife started to get mad at me. And she's like, you have to stop doing that. You have to tell them you're vegan. Because if enough customers over time keep telling them, telling them, telling them, then they're going to go, oh, I see. I have to have something on that. Everyone keeps telling me that. But you're hiding the fact because you don't want you know what it's like, right? You go to a restaurant and everyone's like, he's a vegan. It becomes a big thing. It's like, well, you're yeah. always saying you're vegan. I'm like, I don't say a word. You all do. It's making you that you're constantly talking about it and freaked out about it without realizing. But I go, I don't say a word. And I, you can eat whatever you want. I'm not. It's this thing that sets people off, you know? Yeah. And that's very difficult for some people. Yeah. 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 So once she told me that, I was like, no, she's right, because that's part of marketing and communicating. So I would do it. Because then one time I was in Florida with one of my cousins, and she's like, oh, a bunch of us are going to go to this restaurant. She's like, oh, I forgot you're vegan. It's a seafood restaurant. She's like, let me call and see if they have something. And they said, does he care what it is? And she said, no, because, okay, we have something. And then I realized, this is happening to all the time. So they don't want to turn away a table of 10 or 12 because one person's a vegan. And when I went, it was this beautiful, almost like a pot pie. And they had to go to extremes to make the crust and things. And I'm like, oh, this guy has this in his back pocket. He does it all the time. And he, you could tell he likes, it's like, I'm going to make a great thing for vegans. But it's because what my wife said, it's like, you have to say it all the time when you go that more and more people do it. It's, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of the things about living in New York, right? You can go to New York or London, these places. It's so hep to it. It's everywhere, but in a lot of other places, it isn't there. I kind of look at you like, I mean, I literally was in Seattle once in a place 
I was just ordering breakfast and I was like, I don't want this, you know, I'm vegan. So don't give me the eggs like this, that. And she goes, okay. And she came out and she said, the chef refuses to do that. Mm-hmm. And I had to leave. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like you have to eat the dead animal or you can't. Yeah. yeah. Every once in a while, somebody's really inflexible about it i find it happens actually much less than i have expected it to happen Mm -hmm. um but yeah it does it does happen but that's why but even then even then the staff and the chef found out someone was asking for vegan and then they left and so that does that may not work the first time or the second time or the 14th time as you're saying but but maybe by the 400th time they're like well i'm leaving some money on the table here (laughs) sure yeah it's so um and then I've been in place, I've, you know, my family's in Ireland, a lot of them. So mm-hmm. I was in uh, Cork or a place like that. And my wife was looking at me like, she's like, we ain't going to find no vegan restaurant. We go down the street, <laughs> it's, it's like vegan restaurant. I'm like, wow, it really is kind of spreading and becoming, you know, it's that's kind of heartening, you know, but it's kind yeah. of the thing we were talking about. I wish there was like TV shows or cooking shows or something that was on a popular network. Or, but yeah, so I just feel like I'm doing my little part because it stands out a little bit, right? Like the drawings of it, you know, people like, oh, they... yeah, and you're not just f- pushing them into you, you let them stand, you know, you, you owned it. You didn't just like try to like infiltrate it. You, right. you, you owned it and they can be, uh, I mean, I'm sure they could be collected into a different kind of collection, but I think that, that this is very powerful for people to just know, yeah, vegan art. I, I think what I was trying to do is also encourage other artists at that way. They're like, oh, I can kind of do something like that too. Even if it's sort of like the environment or whatever, the ocean. Or, I mean, that was another thing which I do, which a lot of the others don't. They think of veganism as like cows and sheep and pigs and right, chickens, those things. But I do a lot of stuff about the ocean and fish. And the vegan artists are like, wow, you're the only one doing, you know, like, oh, I never think of that, you know. Uh, after you see like sea spiracy, right, was an eye-opening. Again, it's another thing that they've been very good at keeping under the rug and selling you the idea over many years, like well, it's very healthy if you have fish. Like, you know, there's chicken, which has been sold as healthy also, which is yeah. some kind of scientific creation. It's not even a real thing, you know? So it was, I found this kind of barren wasteland of the ocean. So I tried to do a lot of uh, stuff on that too. You know? So this is all this, all these different visuals, though they just, they are able to tweak through and and whereas you might have to read a couple facts or actually scroll down to the like the back pages you talk about on um, on uh, was it right. conspiracy, this you get this immediate visual presentation of something that you can either spend some time with interacting or even just a quick look at some of these things. It's it sits with you, right? You kind of like yeah. it bypasses a lot of our protective mechanisms of like what's supposed to be and how it should be and what's normal, what Melanie Joy calls normal, natural, and necessary. Yeah, because yeah. I feel almost like people scroll through Instagram and if you come across my thing and you're like, oh, so narrowly you could just be, I don't want that, I want to block people, but you're, you're sort of caught and then you have to look at it. And then when you see what it is, it's like, 
I'm sure some people are like, oh, I didn't want to see that. that could, but I got them somehow, you know, it's in their brain. Yeah, that's it. That's it. We're, we're in their brain. And it's like you said, in terms of repetition in, in this political cycle, I think I don't know what I don't know what they teach now in marketing, but it's, it used to be like somebody needs to see your exact same message eight times before they right. even remember it again. Never mind want to do anything with it. But they you you are invisible until they've seen you eight times. Yeah, no, it's, you know, and a lot of times I try to be with humor in the writing or the thing too, that it's, you know, it's not pointing a finger. I'm just trying to say, here's this fact that I found. Wow, that's like sort of something to think about, don't you think? Uh, Absolutely. So it's, but a lot of times I do feel that I'm just sort of talking to myself or to other vegans, you know, and it's how, I, I think the kind of thing with the internet is you never know, like, uh, anything can happen overnight or blow up. Like one day, Leonardo DiCaprio could see it by accident. And go, I'm going to put it on my thing, and then it's like a million people see it. You know, so it, it's those kind of things um, uh, can and do happen. You know, so. I agree. It's not a waste ever. People and and what what's out there in the internet stays on the internet. As far as I know, it stays yeah. forever. So it might be a couple of years, but someone's going to notice it. No, that is true. Tommy, thank you very much for making this time. Sure, I want to respect no your time, but I'm going to be, I'm going to have the links to, um, to vegan art and to your other, your other books and to your Instagram, which it sounds like your, no your workshop, your playground is on it is. my little magazine. Yeah. And, and it, what, what off the top of your head, what is, what's your handle on Instagram? Is it at uh, Tommy? It's real Tommy King. Real Tommy King. Okay. It's funny because at a certain point, my the Russians hacked my account and stole it, like a couple of years ago. So uh, you know you have to have like dual factor, you know, about this to protect your. So I didn't have it. So when they overtook my account, uh, because my wife's a lawyer, at a certain point, we were visiting a friend of hers who worked at Facebook, and she's like, "Tell her the story." So I said, "Oh, the." Russian, because I could see it was a Russian uh, email address that hacked it and took it. Mm -hmm. And this girl was like, I'm going to figure out how to get your account back. I can do it. I think I know how. I know the people to talk to. And a week later, she got it back from me. Wow. So, but, uh, but I had lost the name because I own Tommy Kane on Instagram. So I just made it real Tommy Kane, and that's why. Real Tommy Kane. All right, everybody. And that's K-A-N-E, Tommy Kane, real Tommy Kane on Instagram. So that's your first. So go straight there, listeners, and you can start seeing uh, seeing Tommy's uh, magazine. It's not all obviously vegan, obvious art. True, yeah, you, there's are, other you are a vegan artist. So. I am. Thank you, Michelle. It's a pleasure. I'd like I like everyone to see there's no one way to be vegan. There's no one way to get vegan. There's no international vegan policing force, as far as we know yet, that tells you exactly how you have to do it. But um, we're all trying to just do our best. <laughs> sure, and if, and if you can't do it all the way, don't try to think of it in terms of becoming a vegan. It's just alter what you're doing, which is good for your health good for the animals good for the environment good for the ocean like we all see these crazy hurricanes hitting and destroying everything and the forest fires going 12 months a year now it's like you know you have to connect that it's food too food is a big 
part of it, you know. Yeah. And it's something we do every day, multiple times. And it's it is a place we can make a difference almost right away. We can make a little difference. Yeah, no, you're right. That's it. Instead of a chicken sandwich, have a salad. Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much, Tommy King. Okay, Michelle. Great meeting. So, so what did you think of Tommy King? You know, I personally think there's no one better suited to create that vegan answer to Anthony Bourdain on television, but maybe maybe there's someone better. I don't know. Let's start let's start imagining who that's going to be. I say it here every week. There has never been a more important time to be vegan, and there's really no one way to move in that direction. And there's no one kind of vegan. The impact that you have as you move towards your vegan practice, it will ripple out in a way that is particular to just you and in a way only you can accomplish. And I think Tommy Kane is a great example of just that. So please, look for Tommy's powerful book, Vegan Art, A Book of Visual Protest, it would make a great gift this season. And you can find Tommy at TommyKane.com. Kane is spelled with a K, K-A-N-E, TommyKane.com, and on Instagram at RealTommyKane. As always, all the links will be in the show notes. So until next week, veg your best. Veg Your Best podcast production, music, and editing by Charlie Weinshank. Thanks, Charlie. Before you go, it would mean so much to me and the Veg Your Best team if you would hit subscribe, leave us a five-star review, or share with someone you think might be interested. Something about algorithms, it helps bump us up a little in the rankings, and that's the best way to help others find the podcast and for us to find our audience. So, until next week, make it easy and veg your best.